the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing and engineering today's program. Well, today we're looking forward to a conversation with Laura Harris-Smith. She's the author of Give It to God and Go to Bed, Stress Less, Sleep Better, and Dream More. That's coming up in the uh, second half of this first hour of today's program. But we'll start out with taking a look at some of the... uh, the day's news, well, in an effort to give the president a win, Senate Democrats have cut paid family and medical leave from the spending package. The Democrats have dropped the paid family and medical leave proposals from the social spending package after negotiations with moderate Democrats failed to reach a compromise on a pared down version of the proposals, according to a report. Now, the expectation was there would be a vote later today. The president made an appearance uh, in uh, in the House, and the hope was that that would result uh, in a merging of the minds. Well, that vote has since been uh, postponed. Well, Democrats decided to drop the proposals on Wednesday, despite uh, the fact that they were a key campaign promise by the president, according to reporting from Politico. Senator Kirsten uh, Gillibrand, a Democrat from New York, one of the Senate's leading advocates for the benefits, and tried to reach a last-minute deal with Senator Joe Manchin who has resisted the overall cost of the package and continues to do so. But Gillibrand uh, said Wednesday that reports about the benefits being dropped are premature, signaling hope for some sort of pared-down version that it could still be in play. Manchin has argued that the cost of the proposals is too high when some social programs are already in jeopardy of running low on funds. I'm talking to everybody, but I've been um, very clear to expand, expand social programs when you have trust funds that aren't solvent, they're going insolvent. I can't explain that. It doesn't make sense to me. I just can't do it, Manchin said on Wednesday as well. Well, Gillibrand has said she will not give up on getting the benefits, and the back and forth continued throughout the day. In other developments, Speaker Pelosi scheduled a reconciliation hearing without the bill's text or framework. And Democrats exploded in frustration over the stalled reconciliation spending spree, blaming the progressive branch of the party. The billionaire's tax proposal could be DOA dead on arrival amid the Democrats infighting. Cornyn and Coons introduced a bipartisan bill to require financial disclosures from judges. And Democrat Senator uh, Mar- uh, Markey claims former President Trump and Mitch McConnell stole two Supreme Court seats. So it continues. Well, Virginia parents to former uh, Governor Terry McAuliffe says our concerns aren't just a divisive Yunkin campaign tactic. Parents there speaking uh, to Fox News on Wednesday condemned some recent comments by the Democratic gubernatorial candidate Terry McAuliffe as insulting and dismissive. Last week, McAuliffe dismissed parents' concerns about education in the Commonwealth as being part of a divisive tactic generated by his Republican opponent, Glenn Youngkin. 
Last Thursday, a CBS News reporter asked McAuliffe, if you win, how are you going to work with those parents who have concerns about how things are being taught in schools across the Commonwealth? Let's be very clear here, McAuliffe replied. This is all generated by Glenn Youngkin. If he actually believes that, then he's not paying attention. Well, the Democrat went on to compare the education issue uh, in 2021 to the issue of MS-13 gang, which Republican nominee Ed Gillespie brought up during Virginia's 2017 election. Well, it's insulting to parents that you're saying this is only a politician's um, rhetoric when it's our voice that is uh, that are expressing concern. Brandon uh, Mission, who's a father of three, who's spoken at the um, Loudoun County School Board meetings for months. In other developments, Glenn Youngkin blasted Merrick Garland for interfering with parents standing up for their children. And once again, candidate McAuliffe warned against Youngkin's far-right social agenda on abortion, same-sex marriage, and book banning. Uh, That's referring to parents who are unhappy with pornographic material in their school's libraries. A mom's advocacy group gathered to protest the National School Boards Association headquarters. Former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo has been charged with a misdemeanor in what a state court spokesman called a sex crime case. The governor resigned in August after an investigation by the attorney general's office found he had committed criminal sexual harassment. And while the AG's office didn't make have the authority rather to charge him for the conduct outlined in its report, authorities in multiple counties have been investigating him since. Cuomo has steadfastly denied wrongdoing. And in this country, you're innocent until proven guilty. Lucian uh, Chalfin, a a spokesperson for the state court system, confirmed a misdemeanor complaint against Cuomo, the former governor, had been filed in a sex crime case in Albany City Court. Further details were not currently available. There was uh, some initial confusion after a blog first reported the charges against Cuomo, following uh, shortly thereafter by an Albany Times Union report. Uh, that was um, said there were no charges and that a warrant had not been issued or had been issued erroneously. Candidate McAuliffe is drawing tiny crowds as the campaign enters its final stretch, the election being on Tuesday. And a CNN reporter attempted to clean up McAuliffe's education comment, saying it uh, has spun out of control. A California school board member was caught on a hot mic using an expletive at a parent who had attended the meeting. Well, Alec Baldwin retweeted a story focusing on a new warrant in the fatal Rust shooting. Alec Baldwin on Wednesday um, in the story at the New York Times uh, retweeted the uh, the focus on the latest search warrants released in the investigation of last week's fatal Rust shooting. The accidental shooting led to the death of the cinematographer before he handed a revolver that he had declared cold to Alec Baldwin on the set of the film Rust. Dave Hall's an assistant director told a direct uh, told a detective he should have inspected each round in each chamber, according to an affidavit. But he did not. The original tweet read, well, that is absolutely required on a movie set. Well, according to a previous warrant from authorities, Baldwin was handed the firearm by assistant director Dave Halls. A warrant stated that Halls handed the gun to Baldwin and declared it cold, an industry term meaning that the weapon was not loaded with ammunition, including blank. So it was supposed to be completely empty. Per the Associated Press, citing the application for the search warrant, Halls was unaware live rounds were inside the firearm. The gun Baldwin used was one of three that are, uh, the armorer had placed on a cart outside the building where a scene was being rehearsed. 
According to the court records, the actor had previously retweeted a Variety article with the headline, Alec Baldwin was told prop gun was safe before fatal shooting, affidavit says. And that, of course, is an ongoing investigation. Alec Baldwin is apparently one of four people to handle the gun on the Rust movie set on the day of the shooting. A legal expert suggested that uh, criminal liability in the movie shooting has not been ruled out. Police say the investigation is very complicated. It seems simple and straightforward, but apparently not. Parents are now uh, being required to share very personal information at school board meetings across the country. And a Toy Story spinoff is being seen as a light year sized political shot at a conservative actor. Now, one would think a program that's uh, designed to entertain children would be off limits, but not today. A union chief in America's biggest city warns the mandate will get people killed. And Mark Zuckerberg and his wife are named in racial and sexual harassment lawsuits filed against an ex-aide by an ex-household staff member. American Airlines is outraged after a flight attendant was allegedly assaulted, saying this behavior must stop. A tech entrepreneur stored debate after calling men who take a six-month paternity leave Losers. According to uh, Senator Sherrod Brown, the Fed chair, uh, Powell, her renomination may or may not happen. And Starbucks plans to increase employee pay to attract workers, just like everybody else. And a huge Trump ally goes all in on the former president's latest big business venture. Well, U.S. gross domestic product slowed to an annual growth rate of 2% in the third quarter of 2021, the Commerce Department announced today. Real gross domestic product increased at an annual rate of 2.0% in the third quarter, down from 6.7% in the second quarter, the Bureau of Economic Analysis at the Commerce Department said in a press release. The deceleration is real uh, in real GDP in the third quarter was led by a slowdown in consumer spending. Consumer spending grew at an annual rate of 1.6 percent in the third quarter, down from 12 percent in the second quarter. People are becoming more cautious. Economists uh, previously predicted that the third quarter GDP growth rate would be about 2.8 percent, according to Bloomberg. The new data show that the slowest economic growth rate since businesses across the U.S. shut down in March and April of 2020 at the onset of the coronavirus pandemic. The slowdown comes with worldwide supply chain shocks leading to shortages of various goods. The U.S. is also facing a labor shortage with 10.4 million open jobs as of the end of August, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Attorney General Garland uh, was grilled before the Senate Judiciary Committee over using the FBI to go after parents from the story. Um, In the Senate hearing, Garland denied he would resolve the FBI's investigation into parents, even though the probe was predicated on the FBI's uh, on faulty information, rather, from the NSBA. From RNC Research, Senator Tom Cotton calls Attorney General Merrick Garland's response to the National School Boards Association letter targeting concerned parents shameful. And the Wall Street Journal reports it took a few weeks, but the National School Boards Association has apologized for sending a letter to President Biden suggesting that threats and acts of violence at school board meetings might be domestic terrorism. The NSBA now admits there was no uh, justification for some of the language included in the letter, which could have parents investigated under the Patriot Act for trying to influence what their children are taught. 
And Twitter, Josh Hawley writes, Merrick Garland's Justice Department has cataloged 13 federal crimes for which parents could be prosecuted for speaking out at school board meetings. But Garland says he doesn't have time to review his department's own plans. Unfortunate. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a quick break. Also, a reminder coming up in the second half of this first hour, Laura Harris-Smith, her book, Give It to God and Go to Bed. Stress less, sleep better, dream more. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next couple of segments, Laura Harris-Smith, her book, Give It to God and Go to Bed. Well, President Biden will now break his $400,000 tax hike promise. Uh, the president, um, his oft-repeated promise to never raise taxes on anyone making less than $400,000 per year by doubling the taxes on cigarettes and hiking taxes steeply on all other tobacco products, well, represents something of a break. The United States amended their passport um, to include an X as a gender. And Florida is uh, tied with Hawaii among U.S. states with the lowest COVID cases per capita. The press release from Governor DeSantis says, as a result of Governor Ron DeSantis' leadership and our data-driven approach free of mandates, the state of Florida has one of the lowest COVID-19 daily average case rates in the last seven days per 100,000 residents in the United States. Breitbart puts, uh, points out that notoriously blue states, even those uh, would still have mask mandates in place or reporting a higher volume of cases per capita. Illinois, for example, which still has a statewide mask mandate in place per uh, the governor there, is reporting 17 cases per 100,000. Washington, D.C., which also has a mask mandate in place, is reporting 12 cases per capita. Governor Gretchen Whitmer's uh, Michigan is reporting 38 cases per 100,000, and he goes on from there. There are a lot of contributing factors to those numbers, but I'm quoting. Three states which implemented severe restrictions throughout the pandemic last year and revived some of those mandates this year um, as well, New York and Pennsylvania. A man won $10 million in a reverse discrimination lawsuit from the story. Duvall uh, claimed in 2019 in a lawsuit that he was let go from his job in July of 2018 because of the health system's diversity efforts and that he ended up being replaced by one black woman and one Caucasian woman. Uh, The jury sided with him and said that the uh, Novant Health failed to prove that it would have terminated him regardless of his race. A top Pentagon official says ISIS-K will soon be able to attack the U.S. U.S. intelligence shows that ISIS-K, the Islamic State Group's Afghanistan affiliate, could potentially have the ability to strike American targets in as little as six months, while al-Qaeda can also increase its capabilities, according to a top Pentagon official. From another story, ISIS-K was behind the August 26 suicide bombing outside Kabul's international airport, which killed 13 U.S. service members and 169 Afghans during the American military evacuation of that war-torn country. Earlier this month, officials revealed that the suicide bomber who carried out the airport attack had been released from an Afghan prison by the Taliban during their August offensive that toppled the Western-backed Kabul government. Elon Musk called the proposal by the Democrats to tax billionaires, that was uh, Ron Wyden's proposal, dangerous. Uh, Tesla CEO uh, Elon Musk, he slammed the administration's proposal on unrealized capital gains on Monday, warning Americans that the policy would set an extremely dangerous precedent. 
Eventually, they run out of other people's money and then they come for you, he said. The proposal, if approved, would tax the unrealized capital gains on the country's ultra wealthy. We'll talk more about that later in the program, including billionaires and those who make one hundred million dollars or more in income for three consecutive years. There are about seven hundred billionaires in the U.S., equating to the zero point zero 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 two percent of the country's population. The plan has already been endorsed by some Democrats like Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, who has for years called on raising taxes on the wealthy. Texas governor has signed a law protecting women's sports, which ESPN called restricting transgender student participation in their overtly biased headline. A roller derby team sued Cleveland, formerly Indians, over the name change. The Cleveland Guardians, the roller derby team, is suing the MLB a team in federal court in an effort to block the name change. Well, the need for liver transplants has soared during the pandemic. The results uh, published by JAMA Uh, The network uh, open showed a positive correlation between the increase in the number of people on the waiting list for a liver due to alcoholic hepatitis and the increase in retail sales of alcohol during the pandemic. Well, Democrats have dropped paid family and medical leave from the reconciliation bill. They're also at odds over the billionaire's tax to fund the sweeping agenda. Party members are exploding in frustration. Merrick Garland says he won't rescind the Department of Justice memo directing the FBI to investigate confrontations at school board meetings. And Tom Cotton slammed him, saying you should resign in disgrace. Two-tier justice, five months after the indictment, the feds finally arrested a longtime TV cameraman for threatening to kill Matt Gates. Joe Biden's climate agenda has uh, faltered ahead of the global summit. He's already left for that event. And Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin snubbed the high-stakes uh, uh, G20 um, momentum, uh, I should say summit, momentum lags among the world's major polluters. Very close to a Sputnik moment, a top general sounded the alarm over China's hypersonic weapons test. And Taiwan's president confirms U.S. military trainers are on the island. Mexican cartels are exploiting American teenagers by paying them to traffic illegal immigrants. And the Department of Homeland Security expanded the no-go zones where ICE can't arrest those in the country illegally. On this day in history, 1726, the original... Uh, edition of Gulliver's Travels, a satirical novel by Jonathan Swift, is first published in London. 1858, Roland Hussey Macy opens his first New York store at 6th Avenue and 14th Street in Manhattan. 1886, the Statue of Liberty, the gift from the people of France, is dedicated in New York Harbor by President Grover Cleveland. 1922, fascism comes to Italy as Benito Mussolini takes control of the government. 1940, Italy invades Greece during World War II. 1962, Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev informs the United States that he has ordered the dismantling of missile bases in Cuba. In return, the U.S. secretly agrees to remove nuclear missiles from U.S. installations in Turkey. 1976, former Nixon aide John D. Ehrlichman enters a federal prison at Stafford, Arizona, to begin serving his sentence for Watergate-related convictions. And in 1980, Jimmy Carter and Republican presidential nominee Ronald Reagan face off in a nationally broadcast 90-minute debate in Cleveland. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
womb. That's uh, according to the March for Life president, uh, Janine Mancini, who uh, during a Wednesday announcement at the Heritage Foundation made the point since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, scientific advances have undeniably confirmed the humanity of the unborn. And today, most Americans agree there should be significant limits on abortion. To this end, we hope the Supreme Court honors the existing constitutional protections for the unborn as they hear arguments in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Mancini uh, went on to say no child's life, either here or abroad, should be threatened by the injustice of abortion. Again, taking the language that resonates in our culture today. Well, a number of pro-life activists joined the March for Life president in Washington, D.C. for the announcement. Judicial Crisis Network President Carrie Severino, Radiance Foundation co-founder Ryan Bomberger, Catholic Association Policy Advisor and Radiologist Dr. Garzi Christine, and Heritage Foundation President Kay Cole James, who at one point was the president of the National Right to Life. Well, actor Kirk Cameron will speak at the January 2022 March and Grammy Award winner, uh, winning um, songwriter Matthew West will perform. The March for Life uh, announced Reverend uh, Mike Schmitz, a Catholic priest who hosts the chart-topping Bible in a Year podcast, is the keynote speaker at the event's Rose Dinner after the march. I I would love, once in my lifetime, I would love to be able to go to the March for Life in Washington, D.C. I've been to many events here in the state of Oregon. I've helped lead worship. I've been part of the uh, the planning and, and participated, but I've never had the opportunity to go to the National uh, Right to Life event. Um, probably not going to happen this year, but I it's on my bucket list. Well, the March for Life is a massive pro-life demonstration that you probably hear very little about. Uh, it's followed the anniversary of Roe versus Wade every year in the nation's capital since 1974. And of course, Roe versus Wade um, became law in 1973. Thousands of pro-life activists, students, and families flocked to Washington to demonstrate against abortion and to attend the March's rally. Now, I say you probably haven't heard about it because it gets very little, if any, uh, coverage. If you get five pro-abortion people standing on a sidewalk across the street, they're going to get equal or more coverage than the thousands who come in opposition to Roe versus Wade. Organizers canceled the 2021 March for Life, scheduled to take place only a few weeks after January 6th, the Capitol riots. There was a small group of pro-lifers, however, who uh, opted instead to march for the unborn in uh, Washington on an unpublicized route. Well, the protection of all of those who participate in the March for Life, as well as the many law enforcement personnel and others who work tirelessly every year, to ensure a safe and peaceful event is a top priority for the March for Life, Mancini announced um, January 15th in canceling the event last year. In light of the fact that we are in the midst of a pandemic, which may be peaking, and in view of the heightened pressures that law enforcement officers and others are currently facing in and around the Capitol, this year's March for Life will look different. In January 2020, then-President Donald Trump became the first president to attend the March for Life in person. Mancini hailed the former president and his administration as consistent champions for life, calling their support for the March for Life unwavering. Then-President Trump uh, spoke at the 47th March for Life rally on the National Mall on the 24th of January in Washington. Um, it's a 
It is my profound honor to be the first president in history to attend the March for Life, although there have been a number of pro-life presidents, I'll add. He told the crowd that year, we're here for a very simple reason, to defend the right of every child, born and unborn, to fulfill their God-given potential. Every life brings love into the world. And then president said, every person is worth protecting. So this year we'll uh, resume a tradition that began in 1974 with pro-lifers from all over the country and an amazing number of young people who are highly motivated and very active uh, who will also be a part of that event. And I should mention, if you can't make it to Washington, D.C., there are events uh, here in the state of Oregon and in Washington. I know they used to have um, the pro-life event here in Portland. That's since moved to Salem, but it's definitely worth uh, worth the trip. I've been to uh, uh, the pro-life events in Salem and here in the um, city of Portland's living room. So I'd encourage you to do that. It's a a great and encouraging event. All right, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Apologies, Laura Harris-Smith was unreachable earlier today for our interview. We'll see what we can do in the future. Well, the economic growth rate slowed to 2% on a sharp slowdown in consumer spending. Iran says it's going to resume nuclear negotiations by the end of November. And holiday sales could set new records, according to the National Retail Federation. Now, that doesn't seem to jive with what we're hearing about inflation and scarcity, but let's hope they're right. Virginia promotes a book telling teachers to embrace critical race theory, which Terry McAuliffe says isn't being taught. Rather interesting. A Twix Halloween ad features a transgender child suggesting violence against those who disagree is acceptable. The reverse isn't, but... The number of new COVID cases continues to plummet across the country. And in a narrative killer, COVID cases in Florida have reached the lowest rate in the nation. Terry McAuliffe keeps inflating coronavirus numbers there. He's been called out by the Washington Post. And unearthed Wuhan lab documents show that the bat lady, Shi Zhengli, isolated coronavirus strains for direct human infection. The Myanmar military is using systematic torture across the country, and North Korea tells starving citizens to eat less. Hong Kong passed a new film censorship law, not surprising given the oversight from China. And Jen Psaki bristled when asked if pro-abortion Biden will discuss human dignity of the unborn with Pope Francis when he meets. Lori Lightfoot uh, was booed on stage at a fundraiser. It was almost deafening, according to those presents, present rather, and a plurality um, want Anthony Fauci to be expelled on both sides of the political aisle. Well, parents whose kids excel in school need to be on guard. 
Some school administrators across the country, not just in New York City, are banning gifted programs in elementary and middle schools and advanced placement courses in high school. Well, typically without any notice to parents, an eighth grade, 8th uh, graders accelerated science class or 5th graders fast track math class is merged into the regular classroom. Top students lose out. They need accelerated programs every bit as much as children with learning challenges need special education and it's discrimination. Well, the left is seizing on the newly published study of an Ohio student of Ohio students, I should say, from the Thomas B. Fordham Institute to call for banning all gifted programs across the country. The study, Ohio's Lost Einsteins, looks at what became a second and third grade students who were identified as high performers. By eighth grade, only 30 percent of black students, 39 percent of Hispanic and students and 34 percent of economically disadvantaged students in the group were still outstanding performers, most had floundered. Now, that seems to me that says something about the program and not whether or not um, it should continue. Anyway, Washington Post education columnist Jay Matthews misread the findings to argue that gifted programs are unproven and probably a waste of money. But many of the Ohio students labeled as high achievers were never placed in a gifted program. Fordham's experts actually recommend more students be tracked into the gifted program. Well, the study also underscores the importance of helping gifted children early on overcome barriers to success. That may lack a place of study uh, and most importantly, an involved parent. Some parents don't insist their children do their homework, concentrate in class and aim for AP classes. These parents need guidance on buying into the educational achievement culture. Well, instead, school administrators are scapegoating gifted kids for the sake of equity. Now, again, this suggests that uh, only certain kids who fall into certain racial groups um, are, in fact, gifted and others are not. And they're being discriminated against. Well, Boston suspended uh, Enrollment in its advanced work class program for fourth, fifth and sixth graders, citing the fact that the school district is 80 percent black and Hispanic, but AWC enrollment is 70 percent white and Asian. Well, look a little deeper and work a little harder. Don't eliminate the program. That's what I would suggest. Well, the rhetoric attacking gifted programs is vicious and divisive. A um, Hesch. Hetchinger report based at Columbia University's Teachers College claims gifted education has racism in its roots arguing that the scientists who popularized IQ measurement was a eugenicist. Well, so was Margaret Sanger, but somehow you've tolerated her. Well, California proposes eliminating accelerated math before 11th grade and requiring all students to study math together. We reject ideas of natural gifts and talents, the state math plan declares. Well, that's like declaring that all students can play on the varsity football team. Ridiculous. Well, educators are peddling a false claim that students of mixed abilities learn better together. A website addressed to school administrators deplores tracking as segregation and announces it's good for students to be in classrooms where there's a robust exchange of perspective, perspectives that are shaped by racial, ethnic and economic identities, maybe a homeroom or special studies, but not physics. Gifted children in slow classes grow bored and even drop out. That's not mentioned. Well, educators who embrace this view are also targeting AP high school classes. But a study by the left-leaning Center for American Progress shows that students who succeed in AP classes have higher grades in college and are more likely to graduate. Eliminating them would be a mistake. Well, fewer black students enroll in AP and those who do are less likely to pass the AP exams. Approximately 69% of Asians, 65% of whites, and 46% of uh, Hispanics who take AP tests pass, but only 28% of of black students. Well, the country should be deeply concerned, but the solution is to better prepare disadvantaged kids. 
Well, the equity warrior uh, warriors rather are also attacking the nation's 165 competitive public high schools from Boston to Alexandria, Virginia and San Francisco. They're eliminating entrance exams and allowing uh, seats by lottery or zip code. Georgetown University's Anthony uh, Carnvale calls it a direct populist rebellion. The uh, real populists, uh, populism is parents rising up to resist the dumbing down of their students' education. These parents, including Asian-American immigrants, know their best shot at the American dream is to have their children succeed in a highly competitive public school. No one should take that away. Expanding the population that qualifies by teaching well, by identifying uh, areas in which you can in, increase the number of disadvantaged students is probably a better approach than eliminating the program altogether. Well, infectious mononucleosis, when I was growing up, it was called the kissing disease. Well, a near, uh, nearly one million Americans are living um, with MS, and now they're making a link between the two. In childhood and adolescence, it's associated with an increased risk developed by multiple or of developing multiple sclerosis as an adult, according to a new study. In order to reach these conclusions, researchers from Sweden and the United Kingdom, they use data from nearly 2.5 million Swedish people. In the population-based cohort study published earlier this month in the journal JAMA Network Open, the authors wrote that they had used the Swedish total population register to identify Swedish-born individuals from January of 1958 to December of 1994 who reached 25 years of age from 1990 to 2019 with both parents alive in 1990 in order to aid in the identification of all first-degree relatives as well as MS diagnoses as in parents. Well, participants aged 20 years were followed from 78 to 2018, and the data was analyzed from in October of last year through July of this year. Well, the researchers used the unique individual Swedish personalized identification number to link data across various registers and identify uh, these cohort members' hospital-based diagnoses and their first-degree relatives. Well, they estimated the risk of an MS diagnosis associated with MS in childhood, adolescence, and early adulthood using um, uh, data analysis and conventional proportional hazards regression models, which I'm sure we probably all wonder about. The point is the authors uh, adjusted for sex for uh, parental MS diagnoses, birth order and parental age at birth. And the group uh, said second degree fractional, well, some other things, suggesting that parental age at birth was um, associated with the risk of an MS diagnosis. So that's one factor that may contribute. They also took into account the health of the participants' siblings, which could make the difference in confirming or discounting the role of familial genetics in the development of MS. Well, it goes on with a lot of uh, scientific um, uh, Jargon, but MS is an unpredictable disease of the central nervous system. It ranges from relatively benign to devastating. I have two very close friends who uh, uh, suffer with it, and their uh, lifestyle and their um, capacity is dramatically different. There's currently no cure for MS, though several drugs have been approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to treat one or more forms of multiple sclerosis, but it's really in its infancy in terms of treatment. According to a National MS Society study, nearly one million Americans are living with MS, and apparently this um, new connection is uh, being studied as a possible predictor of what will happen later in life. The kissing disease among teenagers triggering multiple sclerosis 
later in life. Well, Apple has taken down a Koran app and a Bible app in China at the request of the Chinese officials, the company confirmed. Um, the apps, which were called um, the Bible app by Olive Tree and the Quran Majid, first reported as having been taken down by activist website Apple Censorship. Uh, last week, Apple directed the BBC to its human rights policy, which says we're required to comply with local laws. And at times there are complex issues about which we may disagree with governments and other stakeholders on the right path forward. But they don't fight for religious freedom or, for that matter, freedom in so many other areas. Uh, because they profit significantly from China. Apple told the BBC that Chinese officials had said the apps breached laws on hosting illegal religious texts, and therefore the apps were removed from the Apple App Store there. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. We'll continue to work our way through some of the day's news. Again, I apologize that my guest was not available, but that's how it goes some days. We'll be back. Uh, just one moment. Do you want to do the five o'clock hour? Okay, I'll start at the top. Hey, welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Just want to remind you that on Friday, we take a look at the lighter side of the news, and that is precisely what we will do in the second half of the first hour of tomorrow's program, in addition to the day's headlines, and we'll share this week's Christian Outlook in the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. I hope you can join us. Well, the president today, in his final pitch before traveling to Europe for the G20 summit, urged Congress to support his revised economic agenda, admitting that no one got everything they wanted, including me. Well, that might be an understatement. Well, the president announced his new reconciliation framework this morning, which included an estimated $1.995 trillion pay-fors, including a tax on stock buybacks, efforts by the IRS to stop tax dodgers, and more. Again, quoting the president, after months of tough and thoughtful negotiations, I know we have an historic framework. He added that it will create millions of jobs, grow the economy, invest in our nation and our people, and address the climate crisis to compete with and win economic competition in the 21st century against China and every other economy in the world, end quote. Well, the White House estimates that its plan will cost $1.75 trillion, which means it's probably closer to 3 or 4 and that its pay-fors would raise $1.995 trillion. Um, there is no bill text to these claims, Um They've not actually been evaluated by the Congressional Budget Office or any independent watchdogs. And one of the reasons I predict that it's higher than the $1.75 trillion is with the previous bill that was much higher than that, the Congressional Budget Office that did have an opportunity to evaluate it said over those 10 years, it's almost twice what the 
uh, what the label is. My guess is that would be the same this time around. Well, the plan will also include a child tax credit, universal preschool, and a modified Medicaid expansion, among other things. Notably, not in the plan are universal community college, paid family leave, and other policies, despite the president and the administration officials pushing for these items to be included since earlier this year. We spent hours and hours over months and months, the president said. No one got everything they wanted, including me, but that is what compromise and consensus are. He added, that's what I ran on. Compromise and consensus are the only way to get big things done in a democracy, important things done in this country, end quote. Well, among the pay-fors will be a 15% corporate minimum tax, that's $325 billion, a 1% surcharge on corporate stock buybacks, $125 billion, a global minimum tax of 15%, and a penalty for foreign companies that are based in countries without a minimum uh, tax, that's about $350 billion. A millionaires and billionaires surtax, about $230 billion. Closing a Medicare tax loophole, $250 billion. Increased IRS enforcement aimed at the wealthy. Well, not so much really, but $400 billion are expected. Limiting tax deductions for business losses uh, for wealthy people. And again, the question, how do you define wealthy? And in many cases, defining wealthy down is more accurate. $400 billion are expected from that provision. Limiting tax deductions for business losses for wealthy people. And the repeal of the prescription drug rebate rule, $145 million. Well, the president today, he maintained that the framework is fiscally responsible and fully paid for, arguing again that it would not add to the deficit at all, but instead would reduce the deficit. Again, the Congressional Budget Office and others would beg to differ. President went on to say, I don't want to punish anyone's success. I am a capitalist. I want everyone to be able to, if they want to be a millionaire or billionaire, be able to seek their goal. But all I'm asking is pay your fair share. Now, that's a phrase that's bandied about uh, quite a bit. Uh, When you look at who actually pays the taxes, the vast majority of taxes are paid by the wealthy. Nonetheless, this this nebulous idea of fair share is useful without actually making uh, specific claims. Pay your fair share. Pay your fair share, the president went on to say. And right now, many of them are paying virtually nothing. Well, the president added that Americans making under four hundred thousand dollars per year won't spend a single penny more in federal taxes. And again, that claim has also been challenged. Uh, The president said that the items included in the framework are not about the left versus the right or moderate versus progressive or anything else that pits Americans against each other. But it does uh, move us closer towards socialism versus capitalism, one that he didn't mention. This is about competitiveness versus complacency, he said. This is about leading the world or letting the world pass us by. Well, the president argued that the framework also makes the most significant investment to deal with the climate crisis ever Ever. Well, he went on from there and then he went on to the G20 summit without the victory he had hoped to take with him. Well, the Democrats released the text of this massive social spending bill, uh, their social spending bill outlining many of the priorities. The president's build back better plan. The sixteen hundred eighty four page bill released today comes just one day after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi signaled optimism. The various factions of the Democrat caucus were close to reaching a deal on the legislation. It turned out that wasn't quite the case. And in fact, they postponed a vote that they hoped would take place today. Uh, and we don't have a, a new date yet. 
Uh, As we have insisted, we are close to agreement on the priorities and the top line of the legislation, which can and must pass the House and the Senate, she said in a letter to Democrats on Wednesday. At the same time, we're facing a crucial deadline for the bipartisan infrastructure framework to pass. Well, she expressed more optimism after she released the bill, which comes in at a price tag, as I mentioned, about one point seven five trillion dollars, comparing it to President Franklin Delano Roosevelt's New Deal. It's remarkable in that it's a big vision, bigger vision than we've seen in a very long time, maybe dating back to President Roosevelt and the New Deal. Uh, she said of the bill in a pitch to progressives. And at this point, this is her greatest challenge. It's not just cinema and um, the other fellow, it's the progressives. Well, the release of the bill also comes as the president made an appearance, as I mentioned, uh, on Capitol Hill looking to unite the Democrats. It's a good day, he told reporters at the Capitol after delaying his departure for Europe in order to meet with the Democratic lawmakers. Everybody's on board. You're on board, aren't you? Biden responded, referring to his uh, Democrat colleagues in Congress. Well, let's see. What else do we have here? Democrats are at their most creative when concocting schemes to separate people from their money. So writes Lewis Morris for the Patriot Post. And this is what he writes. Uh, The latest taxpayer swindle comes in the form of targeting unrealized income, which is a fancy way of saying the government wants to tax money that people haven't even made yet. This is a new proposal. It comes courtesy of Senator Ron Wyden, hailed by the media as groundbreaking and innovative. It's complex, unwieldy, unfair, and likely unconstitutional. So it will fit right in with the uh, strategy. Well, the plan players on the appreciation of their assets uh, over the course of a year. As the Wall Street Journal explained, someone who owned $2 billion of stock on January 1st and saw it grow to $2.5 billion on December 31st would owe capital gains taxes on $500 million gain, uh, even if they didn't sell any of the stock. So you don't have to act, literally have gained. It's on paper, but you haven't actually used the money or withdrawn the money or made it available to yourself. This is what is meant by unrealized gains. This way, the federal government doesn't have to wait until the person actually sells the asset in question. It can take cuts now. Now, three days from then, it might be worth far less, but you would owe what was realized Earlier, well, Democrats say that the tax only targets individuals and families with a net worth greater than a billion dollars or with a an income in excess of one hundred million dollars for three consecutive years. I think that covers about seven hundred people in the country. Uh, when was the last time a federal income tax stayed within its targeted income class? Um, that's a trick question. The answer is, well, never. The graduated income tax that was passed via constitutional amendment in 1913 was only supposed to target about 3% of the population, the wealthiest people in the country. We all know how that turned out. One country, uh, century rather, one century later, every hardworking person in the country sits under an inescapable tax burden from their town, their county, their state, the federal government. And let's not forget the alternative minimum tax, a Frankenstein creation that was supposed to target the wealthy, but ended up eating into middle-class incomes. So the claim that it's only for the wealthy and only the top slice of the wealthy should be viewed with some skepticism. History is replete with examples that virtually guarantee that this tax on unrealized income will eventually metastasize and spread down the income chain, and it will have a disastrous impact on the economy, squelching investment and market and asset speculation as tax hikes always do. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a quick break. We'll continue to take our look 
at the day's news. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I was uh, going through Facebook earlier today, and someone had posted this. I wanted to share it with you. It's uh, Wisdom to Grow is where the uh, what the source is. So let me get this straight. I'm paying taxes on my wages, then paying sales tax to spend my own money, then paying income tax on money that was already taxed. Then when I die, my kids pay the death tax on my money that was already taxed. Well, that seems to be where we stand today. Well, Attorney General Merrick Garland stood firm at a Senate hearing on Wednesday on his memo that directed the FBI to look into parents who speak out at local school board meetings. He faced some pretty tough questions from Republican senators, sometimes over the top, mostly on treating dissenting parents as domestic terrorists, but also on FBI abuses in the past and on investigating the January 6th riot at the Capitol. Well, the attorney general picked by the president to run a Justice Department that he promised would be independent of politics insisted repeatedly at the hearing that the federal law enforcement has a responsibility to pursue threats of violence and other criminal conduct directed against local school officials. Well, the first thing I would say about that is that local authorities have that authority and it's their responsibility for the to federalize uh, all of this is very uh, unusual I don't think it's reasonable to read this memo and think it's chilling anyone's rights, he said at one point. This shameful politicization of the Department of Justice to harass and threaten parents who are simply speaking out on behalf of their children is unacceptable and casts a dark cloud over the entire department. That's a quote from Kay James, who is the Heritage Foundation, the outgoing Heritage Foundation president, in a statement issued after uh, Garland's appearance at the Senate hearing. She said uh, calls on Congress to take specific actions to use every constitutional tool available to force the Justice Department to stop this unprecedented dangerous abuse should be taken. And some of the key topics of the um, testimony from yesterday, defending his school memo, he stood his ground testifying to the House Judiciary Committee. um, He defended his memo directing the FBI and the Justice Department personnel to investigate claims of Threats of violence uh, from parents, parents who speak out at the school board meetings as a response to a letter to the president from the National School Boards Association. We learned that there was no independent investigation, uh, that this was rushed rather quickly. And Garland was correct when he said there was nothing in his uh, letter that uh, suggested parents were terrorists. But what he should have recognized was that the department and uh, those who um, have been called upon in, uh, independent investigators who have been called upon to carry out the intent of his letter have gone much farther than his letter would suggest. Well, the NSBA apologized, however, following a public row over the letter in which multiple state chapters of the group representing school board members distanced themselves from the language calling for the use of the Patriot Act and other anti-terrorism laws to act against angry parents. Now, that was not... Um, denounced in Garland's um, letter that called for the FBI to begin uh, partnering an investigation. Last week, the organization disavowed it. Senator Chuck Grassley pointed out, ranking member of the Judiciary Committee, uh, speaking to Garland, since you and the White House based your memo on this um, delegitimized letter, I assume you're going to revoke your extremely divisive memo that you said was instigated because of that memo. Well, he 
testified about the issue last week before a similar House panel responded that the development would not affect the Justice Department policy. And he held to that position. Garland said the apology by the National School Boards Association was about the language in the letter, but the organization continued to express concern about threats of violence against school board members. The language which they disavow was never included in my memo. Senator Cornyn from Texas asked Garland about the potential to chill free speech among parents concerned about their children's education. Did you consider the chilling impact your memorandum would have on parents exercising their constitutional rights? The senator asked. Well, after some back and forth, Garland responded, I don't think it's reasonable to read this memo and think it's chilling anyone's rights. And again, to to restrict the conversation on his memo is insufficient when you consider um, what the agencies are now doing in response to and under the uh, direction of the memo. At one point, Senator Ben Sass, he pressed Garland about the state school board association that withdrew from the National uh, School Boards Association because of the letter. Why did the Ohio School Board Association sir, uh, rather sever their relationship with the National School Boards Association? He asked. Garland replied, I don't know. Well, Sass followed with a question that he didn't give Garland a chance to answer. Why did the Missouri School Boards Association sever their relationship with the National School Boards Association? Why did Pennsylvania? And he went on. The Nebraska Republican answered his own question because this was political hackery and kind the kind of stuff you told us when you were seeking confirmation you would be against. Well, it went on and on uh, from there. It was rather interesting uh, the bottom line is he uh, insisted that he did not support the notion of considering parents to be domestic terrorists, but was unwilling to pull back any of the authority that's now being exercised by the FBI and others uh, in evaluating threats, if you will. And that's broadly defined uh, from parents at school board meetings. We'll continue to follow that developing story. Well, fact-checking the Washington Post, U.S. abortion extremism is on par with China and North Korea. Well, the abortion industry is concerned. In just a few weeks, on December 1st, the Supreme Court's going to hear a case that many observers say could overturn Roe v. Wade, rightfully returning abortion policy to state legislatures where consensus can be built based on the will of the people. Now, I've said here before, I think that's unlikely, but nonetheless, it is a possibility. You might recall on November 1st, the Supreme Court is going to hear procedural arguments and the challenge to the Texas law. Uh, but that's quite apart from the Mississippi case that they're going to be hearing on December 1st. Elements could be combined on that date, but at this point, they're two separate issues. Well, the case is concerned or rather centered on a bipartisan Mississippi law that limits elective abortions at 15 weeks. Not surprisingly, legal briefs and support of the abortion industry contain arguments that are uh, stretching, um, uh, based on uh, outdated science, because current science affirms a pro-life position. Well, perhaps more surprising is a recent analysis by the Washington Post that attempts to depict abortion as broadly legal around the globe. The United States is one of only a handful of nations, including China and North Korea, to permit late-term abortion on demand after 20 weeks. 47 out of 50 European countries limit abortion earlier than Mississippi contests uh, contested limits that is prior to 15 weeks. Well, the abortion industry knows this. The Washington Post, which reminds us daily that democracy dies in darkness, knows this as well. So how does one stretch for a 
reality to support the idea that Mississippi law is somehow regressive, that it uh, is falls behind what the rest of the world is doing. Well, you deploy the time tested maneuver of redefinition, categorizing laws that uh, Uh, actually restrict abortion as abortion broadly legal to fit the narrative. And that's precisely what they did. What does the Washington Post include under abortion broadly legal, referring to the rest of the world? Well, their supporting chart seems to give the mainstream media a seal of approval to 32 nations with first trimester abortion restrictions, including Portugal and Turkey, where abortion on demand is limited to 10 weeks. Incredibly, the Post chart uh, applauding broadly legal abortions include some countries that do not even permit abortion on demand. For example, in Great Britain and India, a woman must demonstrate specific needs such as medical or socioeconomic challenges to meet the threshold for an abortion. Well, according to the Post, broadly legal abortion access also includes a mandatory five day waiting period in the Netherlands, the right of physical uh, physicians rather to decline to perform abortions as conscientious objectors in Uh, Italy, and the right of each individual state in Australia to set its own limits on abortion, which currently range from 14 to 28 weeks. Presumably, the mainstream media will refrain from criticizing pro-life lawmakers the next time they propose similar uh, common-sense limitations on abortion is in the, the United States, whether at the state or the federal level. After all, according to this new analysis... By the Washington Post, waiting periods, conscience protections, first trimester limits are part of a glorious trend of broadly legal abortion access around the world. Now, I wouldn't encourage you to hold your breath because I guarantee you will pass out. But this is the um, the news uh, environment that we find ourselves in where you just fail to mention some things that would uh, uh, contradict the point you're attempting to make. We're going to take a break here. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we're working through some of the uh, top news stories. Uh, When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, Americans who are stranded in Afghanistan. Those numbers seem to keep rising. We'll bring you the latest in just a few moments. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the State Department admission that three times as many Americans remain in Afghanistan as officials originally estimate, uh, estimated marks that the most recent controversy resulting from the president's uh, hasty withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan. Well, the pullout uh, ending America's longest war was punctuated early on with a terrorist bombing that killed 13 U.S. service members at the airport in the capital of Kabul. We all remember that. Well, Taliban militants overran cities throughout Afghanistan as the U.S. relinquished control at Bagram Air Base north of Kabul, leaving billions of dollars worth of weapons and other military equipment. That's some of which is now being sold. Some of the things to know about the situation there and what the Biden administration told Americans then and now. The slow motion hostage crisis is what some are referring to what's left. Well, after the news uh, Friday that the State Department had counted 363 Americans remaining in Afghanistan, Senator Ben Sass, a member of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, called the situation a slow motion hostage crisis. 
The administration has uh, repeatedly lied about the number of Americans trapped behind Taliban lines, he said in a public statement. Well, the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, and other administration officials had estimated that, you know, 100 to 200 Americans remained in the country after the withdrawal, the retreat on the 31st of August. For weeks, uh, their official numbers was about 100, and it magically never changed. As Americans slowly got out, the total number never went down, Sass pointed out. Now they say there are more than 300 Americans still in Afghanistan. The administration uh, attempted to hide the consequence of the president's uh, morally indefensible decision to abandon our people in a war zone. That slow motion um, hostage crisis, as Sass put it, and the administration's cover-up are disgraceful. Mr. President, bring our people home, end quote. Well, perhaps the most notable hostage crisis in U.S. history occurred when Iranian militants held 52 Americans hostage for more than a year at the U.S. Embassy in Tehran. That number is significantly fewer Americans than are estimated to be in Afghanistan now. But the Iran hostage crisis involved holding American diplomats and embassy personnel as prisoners in one location. The circumstances in Afghanistan could turn into a hostage situation. Jim Phillips, senior research fellow on the uh, Middle East Affairs, says... uh, that threat remains despite the fact that the administration is considering unfreezing Taliban assets, giving any leverage we might still have away. Uh, what Biden Blinken said earlier. Well, on the 31st, the president seemed to say there were no more than 200 Americans still in Afghanistan. Maybe he believed that at the time. Now, we believe that about 100 to 200 Americans remain in the country with some intention uh, to leave, the president said at the White House. Most of those who remain are dual citizens, longtime residents who had earlier decided to stay because of their family roots in Afghanistan. The president went on to say the bottom line is 90 percent of Americans in Afghanistan who wanted to leave were able to leave. Well, the White House transcript um, from that day, his remarks attempt to say that he really meant when it uh, inserted a strike through to make it 98 percent. Well, one day earlier, uh, Blinken estimated that the number of Americans remaining in Afghanistan was on the lower end of that range, so closer to 100. Uh, The Washington Post reported on the 17th that the uh, Biden national security officials told the Senate staffers that 10,000 to 15,000 American citizens were still in Afghanistan. That's the 17th. However, Blinken said on August the 25th, pressed during the press conference, based on our analysis, starting on the 14th, when our evacuation operations began, there was then a population of as many as 6,000 American citizens in Afghanistan who wanted to leave. Over the last 10 days, roughly 4,500 of those Americans were safely evacuated. On September 1st, the State Department uh, spokesperson Ned Price said that 100 to 200 um, didn't include U.S. legal permanent residents in Afghanistan at that time. So the numbers uh, keep changing, making it very difficult to know how many Americans are actually there now. How many were there then? Well, the State Department told congressional staff in a briefing last Thursday that the agency is in touch with 363 American citizens in Afghanistan and at least 176 of them want to leave the country. The State Department said that it uh, was able to get 218 and 131 um, Americans and legal permanent residents out of the country since the evacuation implemented before the administration's uh, deadline. CNN first reported that administration officials briefed congressional staff with numbers that are significantly higher than what the administration first projected. Well, there's much more that could be said about the numbers, and it can be somewhat confusing.
Uh, what we do know is significantly more remain in country than we were originally told. It's possible the administration didn't know the numbers and felt uh, pressured to come up with numbers that didn't necessarily reflect what they knew to be true on the ground. Because early on, we were told that we just don't know that people don't always check in with the embassy. What we do know now, there are hundreds of U.S. citizens and others who are entitled to come to the country who have no way of escaping Afghanistan. Very little information uh, now as well about those who are part of the church in Afghanistan, which breaks my breaks my heart. Well, Facebook has unveiled a new name as the company dives deep into metaverse as Facebook plans to go all in on the metaverse, a virtual reality space where users can interact with each other in a computer generated environment. The tech giant uh, has announced it will take on a new name. Today, we are seen as a society, as a social media company, but in our DNA, we were um, a company that builds technology to connect people, and the metaverse is the next frontier, just like social networking was when we got started. That's a quote from Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, from now on, we're going to um, to be metaverse first, not Facebook first. That means that over time, you won't need to use Facebook to use our other services as our new brand starts showing up in your uh, in our products. I hope that people come to know the meta brand and the future that we stand for. End quote. Well, Zuckerberg emphasized that the announcement will not change its corporate structure or how it uses or shares data. However, beginning in the fourth quarter, the company will begin reporting its um Reality Lab segment separately from its apps. Well, along with the name change, the company has launched a new Twitter account and website. It's going to also transition from its Facebook ticker symbol uh, to a metaverse or MVRS beginning on December the 1st. Shares of Facebook have uh, jumped about 3% following the announcement. The rebrand comes as Facebook has faced a growing PR firestorm, including scathing testimony to U.S. and U.K. lawmakers from former Facebook product manager turned whistleblower and a series of reports from The Wall Street Journal and a media consortium of 17 U.S. news outlets, including Fox Business, dubbed the Facebook files and Facebook papers, respectively. So this um, this may have more to do with that uh, than the vision that Zuckerberg Reported so positively. Well, the testimony and reports have covered a wide range of issues at the company, including misinformation on Facebook's platform and the Instagram's negative impact on teens and children. Well, the founder announced this week that the social media uh, giant would soon be changing the name. It's likely that Zuckerberg won't change the name of Facebook's main social media site. Rather, the name change will be regarding Facebook Inc., similar to how Google changed its corporate name from Alphabet Inc., now, each site, um, Facebook, Instagram, all the others, will keep their names under a new parent company name. Now, I don't know about you, but this is all quite confusing. But this is the direction that Facebook is going. And the metaverse, it seems to me, um, this facelift uh, that uh, Facebook is announcing uh, poses a, a number of questions until we see it actually um, rolled out. It'll be rather interesting to see how uh, this impacts Facebook and the reputation of the uh, of the brand again made of um, the metaverse many are suggesting is sort of a fake facelift given uh, the bad pr that facebook has been receiving of late 
We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll uh, wrap things up. Beginning with a, a piece, it was only a matter of time. That's a quote from the Portland Public School Board. Uh, on suspending in-person meetings and resuming discussions virtually. Apparently, the school board and parents just can't get along. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, apparently on Tuesday night, leaders decided to move the Portland Public School um, board meeting online after several people refused to wear masks. And so school board meetings are becoming far more contentious these days. Well, across the country, school board meetings have become a flashpoint. Groups against mandates for vaccines, masks show up to uh, voice their opinions. Well, on Tuesday night, a Portland Public School board meeting got out of hand, according to the uh, chair, before it even began. And leaders decided to move it online after several people refused to wear masks. Well, the board chair, Michelle DePass, uh, told local media she's watched meetings ramp up in other districts over the summer and said it was only a matter of time before it happened in Portland. In fact, I'm surprised it hadn't happened up to this point and that masks was the only issue. As she watched more than 100 people pour into the school board meeting where uh, they were going to discuss a proposed vaccine mandate for students, she said ahead of the meeting, her main concern was masks. I conferred with staff and uh, we had two paths, she said. We could not start the meeting or we could, with grace, start the meeting and ask everyone to comply with the indoor mask mandate. Well, the pass did the latter giving people a brief opportunity to comply with the statewide rule. And when many refused, she moved to suspend the meeting and move it online. Tensions ran pretty high among many in the room, even before the meeting started. It was a few minutes late in hopes that people would mask up. They didn't. So our plan was to recess the meeting until people got to rather could get to a safe place to sign in. I was particularly concerned um, uh, said uh, one, I was particularly concerned about the people that came in good faith to sign in to testify that had signed up well in advance that they were not able to uh, or safe in expressing their views. Well, in a statement, Superintendent Guadalupe Guerrero said that the masks were just one of the concerns. Writing Tuesday night, our students and staff were also confronted with the use of offensive racist language. Hate speech is not tolerated in our community. This incident is an affront to our core values of racial equity and social justice, respect, honesty and integrity, quote, Close quote. We weren't hiding behind a screen to pass asserted. We were doing the business of the district in a safe environment. Other agenda items were discussed virtually before the board moved to the big talker, mandating COVID-19 vaccines for students. The board ultimately decided to delay a vote uh, on on the subject until the 16th of November at the earliest. Well, as the mask non-compliant, the outbursts and the fierce feelings surrounding these difficult topics, the chair called it a kind of emotional fallout brought about on the pandemic or by the pandemic. It feels like a moment where everybody in the community just needs to take a nap and have a cup of tea, she says. If you're not mad about vaccine mandates, your child quarantining, it's going to be something else. This is maybe a late stage effect of a pandemic that we're struggling emotionally as a community. Lots of us. 
well, rather interesting parents and others who speak loudly and perhaps abusively at school board meetings are not to be tolerated. But in Portland, other kinds of violent acts, actual violent acts are tolerated. It's a rather interesting season we find ourselves in. And of course, as uh, followers of Jesus, if you're a parent, there are certain standards that one has to apply to oneself because we are representing him And so while making a point, we need to do so in a way that does not conflict um, with the the commitments that we've made as his ambassadors. Well, a Florida school board member uh, chaperoned a group of elementary school children on a field trip to a gay bar, according to photos of the trip she posted on social media. I was so honored to be invited to chaperone Wilton Manors Elementary's uh, field trip to the Incredible Rosies. The students and I had a fun walk over and learned a lot about our community. A huge thank you to Rosie's Bar and Grill for hosting this special field trip every year. Every year, apparently. Broward County School Board member Sarah Leonard posted on her official school board Facebook page on Wednesday. Well, not all parents were amused. The post, which was examined Thursday morning shows photos of children in the popular Florida gay bar, Rosie's Bar and Grill, including a photo of the group posing next to the restaurant sign. Now, put aside the fact that this was a gay bar. Really, you want to take elementary school students to a bar for any reason? Screenshots um, that she posted have since circulated on social media, media sparking outrage. Now, you can imagine if you're a mom or dad, this would be a little off-putting. School board member Sarah Leonardi accompanied Wilton Manors Elementary School on a field trip to an LGBT bar, which features menu items like the Big Girl Burgers. I won't even bother to say them all because you would find them rightfully offensive. A screenshot from a private Facebook group called Moms for Liberty, Broward County, Florida, shows one person saying... The screenshot was posted on the Twitter account of Libs of TikTok. Well, Rosie's Bar website shows these items on the menu, but it's unclear if the children were offered the same menu. And it's not clear if they actually ate there either. Rosie's Bar and Grill has been a tropical oasis in the middle of the island city, Wilton Manors, uh, since 2006, offering amazing food and refreshing drinks and sassy fun, the bar's website states. Whether you come for lunch or dinner for Sunday uh Fun day brunch or just a few drinks, whether you're LGBTQ plus or an ally, whether you are local or visiting, whether you come with a group or venture out solo, you will have a memorable experience with the most talented crew of South South Florida. See you soon. Well, uh, Broward County District, uh, the school district didn't immediately respond uh, to information about this school field trip to a local bar. And what would be the point that you couldn't teach in a classroom that you had to take students to a bar. But this is the absurdity that we find in our um, culture today. And then there's this, Jarrett Stepman, writing about the city of Portland. He writes, immediately upon taking office, President Joe Biden removed President Donald Trump's designation of Portland, Oregon, as a jurisdiction in anarchy. So how are things going now? Anarchy reigns in the city of Roses. Now, as a Portland resident who lives very close to where much of the activity the riots and destruction of property have taken place. I might read this differently than those of you who live at some distance and say, well, things are just fine here. But he writes over the weekend, and this was uh, 
written on the 26th, so just this last weekend. Over the weekend, police were called to 19 shootings, one of which is likely to be ruled a double homicide, bringing the total number of murders in Portland this year to 71, surpassing the 1987 record of 70. Homicides are only part of a larger problem in Portland. Earlier this month, a mob of around 100 anarchists tore up the downtown part of the city while police looked on. They went on a rampage, spraying slogans like kill cops on the buildings they vandalized, and did at least 500 thousand dollars worth of damage according to uh, sources the portland police said that no arrests were made no arrests were made because of the destruction but that wasn't the fault of the police instead the problem is that the politicians who govern the state and local officials who have intentionally tied the hands of law enforcement they are the reason why it's impossible to stop criminals and mobs from doing what they wish to do in the city of portland well, Portland Police Lieutenant uh, Jake Jensen said in an interview with Coyne, a local Portland CBS affiliate, that the reason his department didn't intervene was House Bill 2928 and the restrictions placed on us in a crowd uh, in a crowd control environment. The legislation deeply restricts the use of non-lethal crowd control tools like pepper spray and rubber bullets, though there are exceptions to the law in the case of serious threat to public safety, not property, but safety. Like a riot, local authorities are still wary about using these tools. So literally, there's no enforcement uh, permitted to prevent this from happening. The law clearly allows Portland police to use effective tools necessary to control violent crowds. That's from the Oregon House Minority Leader Christine Drazen, a Republican, in an interview with the Associated Press. However, activist attorneys are deliberately misinterpreting legislation to prevent police from intervening. They have no business putting law enforcement and community safety at risk. Portland uh, Mayor Ted Wheeler said nothing of the issue. Wheeler marched with protesters in 2020 following the death of George Floyd at the hands of Minneapolis police. He was all aboard the defund the police movement, too. The Portland mayor is a lot quieter these days and has signaled that he's not quite so much in support of it. Now Wheeler is besieged and so is the city. And while plenty of local and national left wing media have done their best to make it seem like the disintegration of Portland is overblown, it's hard to ignore its problems. Portland has quickly become one of the most violent cities in America I know when you think about Portland, you don't think about Portland as being one of the most violent cities in America. But per capita, looking at the numbers of Portland and some other similarly sized cities and what's happened and is happening here, that statement is actually factually true. And it's a sad, um, a sad commentary. Well, we are out of time. I hope you'll join us tomorrow when we take a look at the lighter side of the news in addition to the day's headlines. I want to thank James Blend for producing and engineering today's program. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.